You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cozy Bear isn't back. Cozy Bear never really left at all. Iran says the Americans are dreaming. There was no cyber attack in retaliation for Iran's implausibly deniable missile strikes on Saudi oil fields last month. Malicious audiophiles are dropping crypto miners and reverse shells into victim systems. An international dragnet collars hundreds in a darknet child exploitation sweep. And Graboid is out there worming its cryptojacker into susceptible Docker hosts. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, October 17th, 2019. Cozy Bear, Fancy's quieter cousin, is back, or as ESET puts it in a study released this morning, Cozy Bear never left. Operation Ghost was discreetly successful in penetrating and collecting against a number of European diplomatic targets, including at least one country's Washington embassy. Cozy Bear, which ESET calls the Dukes and others APT-29, is probably a unit of Russia's SVR Foreign Intelligence Service, although the FSB is also sometimes associated with the group. Both the SVR and the FSB are institutional descendants of the old Soviet KGB. Operation Ghost was characterized by patient determination and careful use of steganography. Cozy Bear came to widespread attention when its tracks were detected in the U.S. Democratic National Committee during 2016. Fancy Bear noisily blew the gaff for both groups. Had Fancy Bear not stomped through with nary a concession to quiet decorum, Cozy Bear might have rested quietly, undisturbed, and alertly observant in the political party's networks for many more months. There's been nothing new on that U.S. cyber attack against Iranian propaganda capabilities since two U.S. officials talked to Reuters about it on background. But Iran's Minister of Communications and Information Technology did tell the FARS News Service that, as far as Iran could tell, nothing happened. Quote, the Americans must have dreamed it. End quote. The security firm BlackBerry Silence has discovered malicious code that evades detection by hiding in wave audio files. The payload is often an XM rig Monero CPU miner. The other payload commonly dropped is a Metasploit code that establishes a reverse shell. BlackBerry Silence researchers found both payloads in the same environment, which suggests to them that the hoods responsible are running a two-pronged campaign to deploy malware for financial gain and establish remote access within the victim network. Hiding in a wave file seems to have been effective in moving the malware undetected through defenses, 
which is one reason why this episode is being widely understood as a variation on the steganographic obfuscation more commonly associated with image files. Managing an organization's public key infrastructure can be one of those necessary but unglamorous security-related jobs, and as time goes on, the complexity surrounding it can spin out of control. Chris Hickman is Chief Security Officer at Key Factor, and he offers these insights on PKI. Public key infrastructure is a set of policies, procedures, highly skilled and trained individuals, people that come together to implement a set of technologies designed to secure assets within the organization and identify those assets and people in a way around a shared key set, which is a public key and a private key. So uh, the concept being that your keys uniquely identify you or your device. You have one that remains private at all time, and then you have one that you can uh, send out, if you will, to identify yourself to other people. And there's a relationship between the public and private key that uh, allows you to have a very secure uh, connection or very secure identity or very secure authentication, digital signature or encryption. And so what are the benefits that come with that and what are some of the challenges associated with it as well? So the benefit is it's um, it's standardized, it's universally um, uh, used across platforms and devices. It's a, a technology that's been around for um, a fair bit of time, going back into you know, commercially available since the uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, so it's proven technology, and while the um, the standards have progressed uh, and cryptography has changed, you know PKI is one of those technologies that's kept up with those changes, so that it's as secure today in the way it's implemented today as, as it was back then. The challenges, however, is it's a set of unique requirements. And as I said, it's not just technology. It's a combination of policies and procedures, training people, and then implementing technology in a way over top of that, that allows you to have the confidence within the organization that uh, what you implement on day one is a secure uh, every day there for it. There is uniqueness in the way PKI works, great example. There's specialized hardware like uh, hardware security modules. There's servers that need to be offline. And all of those things sort of culminate into organizations uh, often getting in over their heads. We see organizations struggle with implementing software and technologies that have a life cycle beyond you know, a couple of years. So a good example is when you implement a PKI, you're establishing a cryptographic route of trust across the organization that can be valid up to 20, 25 years, that requires a tremendous amount of, of thought and planning. As we often see in organizations, people come and go and, and their roles change. The knowledge that they have about how to run the specific PKI within an organization tends to go with them. People end up making decisions to support the business's requirement for uptime and the business's requirement for you know, issuing certificates for this new business or uh, line of business or this new application and so on and so forth. And they end up making decisions that compromise or reduce the overall level of trust. So what are your recommendations then for, for folks who want to get on top of this, who want to take a, a smart approach to it? What do you suggest they do? So we see a lot of organizations um, struggling uh, to take what they've already got, which is a PKI all too often that was built for a very specific purpose or an application. Somebody said, hey, 
we need certs, let's click next a few times and build a PKI. And um, that becomes the de facto standard in the organization. And over time, um, you know, people just sort of say, hey, I need a cert for this, I need a cert for that. And it sort of becomes the enterprise PKI. Um, more often than not, we find customers then struggling to do things like scale, right? Um, where they have an application now where they need a cert on every single device to do you know, secure uh, management, let's say of that device as an example, and they can't scale to the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of certificates that are required. And they don't think about the management. All too often people are looking at uh, certificates of how do I get them to that device, not how do I manage them when they're on that device. So. We recommend to people, first of all, that they take a little bit of a step back and they take a look at, okay, what has happened historically? Where am I at? What confidence do I have if I have an existing PKI in that PKI? How do I feel that it is still secure from the day that I built it? And how does that translate into my current needs and requirements? And then what do my future requirements look like? And how confident am I that I have the ability to service them? Then once that I have serviced them, how am I going to manage that to make sure that all the decisions that I make don't lead to me degradating the overall security of the system? At that point in time, we often find the customers make a decision uh, either to basically start over. And when we say start over, not necessarily repeat the same mistakes, but, uh, but to look for a better way to that crypto asset into their environment or the benefit of it while reducing the risk and the overall uh, hmm. resourcing associated with that they'll often make a decision to say, okay, you know what? We're gonna need to issue certs. We don't know how to run a PKI. Let's look for some help to do this. And that's very often where we have a, a conversation with them about the ways that they can be successful with the technology, have the policies and procedures, get their people trained up, but not have to take the day-to-day -day care and feeding into account and freeing up those resources to do other things in the organization. That's Chris Hickman from Key Factor. Paige Thompson, the accused Capital One hacker, will be tried this coming March. Prosecutors have opposed moving the defendant out of custody to a halfway house because the amount of evidence they've acquired, between 20 and 30 terabytes of data, are so daunting that they make the defendant a flight risk. An international dragnet took down hundreds of people who posted and consumed child pornography on the darknet. The law enforcement action extended to 38 countries, the U.S. Department of Justice said in an announcement yesterday, and resulted in the arrest of 338 people. The ringleader was one Zhang Wung's son, proprietor of an apparently loathsome site known as Welcome to Video. The site was a money-making operation where users could purchase material using Bitcoin. The Bitcoin sales were the site's undoing. U.S. Internal Revenue Service criminal investigation special agents tracked the Bitcoin transactions which enabled them to locate the relevant darknet server, identify the website's administrator, and track them physically to South Korea, where Jong Woo Sun resides. He faces a U.S. federal indictment, but he's already doing time in a South Korean prison for his activities. Washington may get to take a crack at him, but only after Seoul is done with the guy. The IRS takes the occasion to point out that altcoin doesn't amount to some kind of cloak of invisibility. As IRS Criminal Investigation Chief John Fort put it, quote, regardless of the illicit scheme and whether the proceeds are virtual or tangible, we will coordinate to work with our federal and international partners to track down these disgusting organizations and bring them to justice, end quote. And Justice Department officials observe that the Darknet isn't some inaccessible refuge for outlaws. Law enforcement can reach them there, too.
It's an ugly story all around. Two suspects committed suicide before their search warrants were executed, and there were children being actively exploited. The Justice Department said the law enforcement action resulted in the rescue of at least 23 minor victims residing in the United States, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So congratulations to the authorities on the rescue, and may the children find peace and healing. After all of this nastiness, we return with relief to more ordinary crime that, in contrast, can seem almost wholesome. Security firm Palo Alto Networks yesterday described the graboid worm, a cryptojacker that infests unsecured Docker hosts. The researchers came across about 2,000 such unsecured hosts in the course of their study. Palo Alto sniffs that Graboid may be capable of short bursts of speed, but overall is relatively inept. Unsurprisingly, Graboid exploits improperly configured hosts. So please look to your Docker configurations, friends. A cultural note, the name Graboid is a well-chosen homage to the horror classic Tremors, an underappreciated bit of cinema that our film desk gives two thumbs way, way up, and would give even more if they had additional thumbs. That's what the desk says anyway. The giant worms and tremors were normally pretty torpid, but seismic vibrations would spur them into a brief frenzy of activity. We salute Palo Alto Networks for cultural literacy and good taste in movies. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, I noticed that you all have teamed up with Splunk to develop some interesting learning opportunities for the ICS community. You're going to be contributing to something called Boss of the Sock at Splunk's upcoming conference uh, coming up here soon in Las Vegas. 
A uh, lot of respect and love for the Splunk team over the years. I think they've done a really good job, not only creating a good product and similar, but they've always been good about engaging the community. And when I think of things that I like about Dragos and, and our own company, it's kind of that community-driven approach. Um, one of the things that Splunk did was create this boss of the sock or bots. And it's essentially taking a data set related to attacks and things that are taking place and almost creating like a CTF out of it. Very similar, I think in theory, to, you know, very kudos to um, Ed Scotus and the, the SANS team and what they did with NetWars. Um, but taking taking kind of that capture the flag kind of feel to a defensive challenge and bringing it out to the Splunk audience and, and people around the world. Um, I think they, they trained people in a variety of uh, countries last year doing this uh, all over the year. And uh, so they approached me and, and basically said, hey, we'd love to help educate people about ICS, like this industrial control system stuff, our, our industrial world. I don't think a lot of people have gotten a lot of access to those data sets. Uh, can we partner up on it? I said, absolutely. Hmm. So it's kind of two phases here. The first is we had them come into our uh, office in Maryland, and we have a variety of real industrial ranges using industrial equipment from our partners and others. And and what I define as real is the fact that there's actual physical process. It's not just systems and virtual machines, but it's real equipment, real gear. Um, one of the ranges we have is a beer uh, brewery for science and <laughs> analytics purposes, of course. Uh, uh, how convenient. So, yeah. <laughs> we produce a wide variety of beer at Drago's, like TCP IPA and Little Bobby Bach. Nice. And, um, and so we wanted to uh, let them play around in that environment, and we did some attacks against it, and they were able to gather off data. And so phase one is to bring that ICS data set to that Splunk audience. Now, we're also a Splunk partner where our technology, the Dragos platform, has a, an app or a connection into the Splunk um, system so that the alerts and things that we see in industrial networks can connect up so the folks in the enterprise saw can see it as well. And so phase two is uh, the bots participants will be able to get the view of that Splunk app so that all the data will be run through the Dragos platform. And, and that way there's context and insight and actual environmental context there for them. So it's not just random protocols and data, but, oh, it's a, uh, you know, here's a DMP3 or IEC 104 or whatever protocol, you know, running to a specific piece of equipment. Now they can understand all that. So phase one, overload them with data, get their feet wet in ICS. Phase two, put the Dragos platform in there as well so they can get the additional context and really just start exposing people to more of, of this industrial world and the challenges we face. And, and is that really the take-home here, that uh, through that exposure, perhaps spark an interest in people? Absolutely. I, I think when we look at this, there's obviously the value to Dragos of like marketing, and there's the value of, of hopefully showing people the value of our product. Um, but I, I, we don't really spend a lot of time on that stuff. We probably should. Um, I, I think marketing and sales definitely has a place. But what I prefer to do is is take more of an educational approach and just show people what they should be doing. And if we're the right answer for them, then great. Um, so what we like to get involved on is more of the education stuff. Even if you're not going to be a customer, I want you to know about industrial systems. Even if you don't work at a site that is industrial, you should have an understanding about how your world operates. One of the things that I love about the security community and the security practice is we have a lot of creative and insightful and curious people that are lifelong learners and so to give them a whole new thing that they've never been exposed to before is a really unique and exciting opportunity that I hope will bring people into the industrial community. And hopefully we'll see more 
you know, transplants over into our field and, and get more people excited about our industrial world. Hmm. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.